Hello everyone, and welcome to the Toasted Tale podcast. My name is Jim Lillywhite Bewley, and I just want to say, wow, what a timeline we're living in. It feels like over the last few years, there's been one thing after another, just knocking us sideways all over the place. And maybe this was my fault for feeling that things were edging, creeping, slowly back to normality. Um, But of course, today, which is the 2nd of March 2022, when this is being recorded, and for most people who will be listening to this, life, as we thought we had it, has changed once again. There is another menace that is creeping along across the world. Of course, what I'm talking about is the invasion, where we are on our seventh day, of course, from Russia into Ukraine. Now, I'm not a military expert or well-versed in the political machinations of major political leaders around the world, but on the Toasted Tale podcast, we like to tell stories and for stories to survive and be interesting enough to either write down or put somewhere on the internet for someone like myself to find, then to try and find a story within, and then regale to you. And so, whilst all this bloodshed has been going on, I have been thinking about the narrative of the whole situation, and not that I've been seeing on places like Twitter and Facebook, people almost trying to make the conflict into some kind of movie. But I'm... Well, what I find interesting is looking at the important players in the conflict and how the world is viewing these people, how they will be remembered and the ramifications of their actions now into the future. I've mentioned my thoughts about this point before on the podcast, but there's a part of me, maybe a childlike sense, where I truly believe that most people in the world, in order to get by, they need to present their lives in a positive light, at least even just to themselves, where they become the good guy, the woman or man who's doing the right thing, who's standing up against the wrongs of society. This often is quite confusing to their opponents, because you will be looking at what they are saying, and it may seem completely insane or crazy, but that calling them insane or crazy doesn't really help the situation, it kind of tries to brush under the rug what they're saying or doing, and it kind of puts a massive barrier in between understanding their point of view and therefore bring them into the fold. I always try to come from the position that there is probably a very valid reason why someone is arguing a certain way, regardless of how out of the box or crazy it may seem to someone else. Therefore, for the people in the discussion, it's dangerous to just write someone off and not take them seriously maybe just hand-waving off their argument as pure silliness. The person saying something outrageous to me believes it, 
or at least believes that what they're saying supports their argument, which takes the discussion closer to what they deem to be the greater good. It may only be to the good of themselves or those cronies next to them, but still, they don't go to bed at night going, hey, I'm a bad person and that's okay. Hmm. And I believe that way of thinking has got many people through their lives, making difficult decisions that others will look down on them for. They have done what they want, they have felt that it is the right thing. And they have then gone on and committed such acts. That way of thinking only holds you over so far though. Eventually, you will die, you will pass away, and the people who were close to you and supported you will pass away and die as well. And at that point, you haven't got any real control over how your image is presented. You've only got what you did on the planet. After that, it's down to other people, historians, journalists, those who are not directly connected or have any reason to be biased in any way. Then you're at the mercy of history. And this is a factor that applies to everyone. You can't escape this. Unless you live your life not speaking to anyone, then you're kind of locked into this situation where your actions on this planet will have an effect. The narratives on both sides of the conflict we're talking about today, of course, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, are diametrically opposed. I've done a bit of reading into it, and probably like a lot of people who will be listening, there's the impression that Vladimir Putin of Russia had filled in the minds of his people, that in Ukraine there was a growing Nazi movement, a threat that needed to be stomped out, and the fact that the West wasn't doing anything meant that Russia had to step in. This was on top of the ethnic Russians in the Donbass region, and also in Crimea, being threatened by the Ukrainians and therefore in need of Russian help. Now, it is true that there are regiments and percentages of Ukraine that maybe subscribe to extreme right-wing views, less so Nazis and more ultra-nationalists, white power fanatics that time. Famously, there is the Azov Battalion, which is a military regiment in connection with the right-wing Ukrainian political party Svoboda, who do indeed have an ideology that is connected with far-right-wing views. So this is the Russian perspective, that they are defending themselves and the ethnic Russians, and giving off the idea that Ukraine is filled with Nazis. This is not based in any fact, however. Svoboda, for sure, run for election and try to garner support from the people of Ukraine, but in the last election, they didn't even meet the required 5% threshold number of seats won to be included on the nationwide list of political parties. 
I live in the UK, and like most countries, we have our fair share of far right-wing ultranationalists. We would call them extremists, maybe. But they're in a tiny minority, like most countries. It's like a bell curve. You've got, on one side, very small amount of people who are really left-wing, and then you've got most people who are in the middle, and then on the other side, you've got a tiny amount of people who are extremely right-wing. And that is going to be the kind of curve you get for most countries I'm quite confident of. Now, what's happened in the Ukraine would be akin to... And I saw this as a comment on a website that was discussing this. But it would be like America invading the UK due to, you know, due to the Nazis in our country. And it being due to a handful of people in the UK who actually believe in those Nazi ideals. It doesn't make sense, especially as, you know, there are countries that are militarily stronger and those that are weaker, and the UK wouldn't be as strong as the US and would struggle to fight back, and Ukraine, similarly, does not have the same kind of resources as Russia, and is being invaded now and is struggling in turn. And do the Ukrainians have any angle they're playing from, except not wanting to be invaded, that is? Honestly, the evidence doesn't really seem to show it. If there was some kind of golden bullet that the Kremlin were looking for, then I would, I would tell you guys, I would say that yeah, this, is, this is the balanced argument, this is the uh, two sides of uh, the play here. But there isn't. The Ukrainians were warning people for weeks that the Russians were building up troops near the border, and like someone standing on a railway track watching an approaching train, it eventually hit them. Except they couldn't really get off the track, they were tied to the track, you can't really pick up a country and move it. And so here we are, seven days in, and we have a conflict that is only escalating and becoming more bloody by the day. Here's what I find interesting, well one of the many things of this conflict that I find interesting. From the Russians' perspective, they probably wanted a very quick, as clean as you can make war, a seamless and sterile conflict. They go in, they take all the major cities, they do what they need to do, oust the government of Ukraine, happy days. The Russian army even told the soldiers that they would be welcomed like liberators. Which may be part of why it's all gone a bit wrong for them. The young conscripts in Russian garb went in expecting something easy, thought to be a training operation, and they were faced with people shooting back every step of the way. And so what was meant to be maybe a two-day operation, a blitzkrieg, is now lingering on, and you've got two sides now that are facing off, one the militarily superior, and one not, but punching above its weight. Like all invasions or conflicts of this kind, it feels like it's from another age, hearkening back to the desire to get empires and the land grab and that kind of thing. It all feels very old-fashioned, and 
I'm certain that these events that are happening right now will be studied by future historians looking back at what the hell was going on. To be fair, they'll be looking back at the last like five or so years and going, what the hell was going on? But in terms of the shift in geopolitical power around the world, it feels very much like the old world battling to hold on to what was against the new and united one. And we haven't always stood together on certain issues, but this is one of the biggest jokes of this whole affair. Vladimir Putin, to my understanding, is surrounded by individuals who tell him what he wants to hear. He's in a bubble, he's insulated from all of the struggles around him, in his country, outside. He says jump, and they say how high. And the man has gotten his way for a very long time. He is on a quite continuous winning streak of what he wants to get done, get done. And that will build a confidence that, what's that phrase, pride comes before fall? Well, I wonder whether this has something to do with that. There have been news stories over the last 5-10 years of Russian involvement in other countries, being able to push the boundaries of what he and Russia are able to do against other sovereign nations. I mean, for goodness sake, there's clear evidence that the Kremlin had a strong hand in the poisoning of Sergei and Yulia Skripal in the UK, an act pretty much an assassination attempt which, honestly, is very close to declaring some kind of war, or at least giving the UK government the ammunition to do something similar in return. No real consequences were felt, though. And you can understand, after years of doing little things like this, that Vladimir Putin may have felt invincible. And so when he positioned his troops at the Ukrainian border, well, going back before then, you know, taking... Crimea, which of course nothing really bad happened to him then either, but when he put his troops along the border of Crimea, saying that he wasn't going to invade, but making it really quite obvious that he had the intention to, he probably felt that this was all going to go as smoothly as everything else, and how wrong he has been. Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, has done a remarkable job over the last few weeks of winning the hearts and minds for Ukraine. He is portrayed in this saga as the hero of the story, alongside with those in Ukraine, of course. He doesn't put himself above them. He's the president of a nation of people being invaded, and he does his part. But what he's really done well, I find, is differentiate himself from his Russian counterpart, and shining a bright spotlight directly into the eyes of the leaders of the most powerful countries in the world, effectively holding a mirror up to them and asking them whether they are going to allow this type of national aggression to take place. The former comedian, almost unsurprisingly, has an expert touch when it comes to grabbing the attention of those around the world. I've seen 
speeches by him, speaking directly to the Russian people, in Russian by the way, and also his communications to the United Nations, letting them know how bad it is on the front line. Because in reality, he has been to the front line. He has remained in Kyiv. Unlike Putin, who just sends his conscripts to war, he is there, at least in the publicity sense, shoulder to shoulder. Regardless of whether Putin succeeds in his goal of taking over the Ukrainian territory, there is no winning for Russia in this regard. There is no way that the world can forget that a militarily advanced country didn't invade and attack the sovereign country of Ukraine within such its soldiers, its volunteers, and people from across the world who are volunteering to help the nation of Ukraine. There are only negatives for Russia with this. And hell, when you hear about Russian people online, most of them are heavily against the war. Access to free and fair internet services. But those who don't and just digest the Russian state media don't know that there's a war. They think it's just military operations against Nazis in Ukraine. And by the way, President Zelensky has Jewish heritage. And so making the idea that he is running some Nazi cabal is ludicrous. History will not be kind to Vladimir Putin or his oligarch friends who supported this conflict. Appearing not right in the head and using his nation's threat of nuclear war against all of the major powers in the world, he effectively put everyone so far on edge that to even consider supporting openly militarily-wise the nation of Ukraine risked starting World War III, or even worse, nuclear war. As with most conflicts, there is an impossible decision to be made by all those around the world. I'm sure many want to support Ukraine more, but then how do you do that if you risk nuclear annihilation? Russia shouldn't be getting away with this type of conflict, but how do you risk retaliation if, on the other side of the playing field, there is someone with a shaky finger over the nuclear button? Regardless of whether Russia wins the war, Russia loses. Their leadership have made them a pariah state. Investors are taking billions out of the country and they are being cut off and strangled economically and from key resources they need. Russia's economy is mainly built off oil, gas and arms, and people aren't buying them anymore. So what happens when there's not enough money in the tank for Russia? Well, you've got to assume that it will affect those who are poorest most. Putin and his friends will not be suffering like all his people will. And for what? So that at the age of 69 he can have one last hurrah and be the big man on the world stage again? I don't know. It's just so frustrating. I feel awful for many people in this conflict. All the people who have got to watch around the world as very little can be done. 
the young Russian conscripts lied to, saying they're going to be doing training exercises and then they're shoved into a war. The people of Ukraine who are being killed, shelled and shot by the Russian war machine. And all of this points to one man, Vladimir Putin, who put it all on one invasion. That is going to serve no one but himself. I'm going to finish this off by saying that I, I read an interesting quip by someone about this conflict, and he said that Putin spent years, decades, trying to sow seeds of conflict and begin to create fractures between the leading nations in the world, and even more so within the people within those nations in the world. And in one week, seven days, he's done more to bring the people of the world together by tying us closely against him and his mission. History will not be kind on you, Vladimir Putin. The people of Russia, Ukraine, Europe, the entire world deserve better. And your legacy will pale in comparison to what you wished it once would be. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Toasted Tale podcast. It was a bit of a different one today. With everything that's going on, I just felt like I needed to say my piece, however irrelevant it probably is, and highlight the fact that this is a prime example of people's actions painting people's perceptions. Vladimir Putin is a historical figure already and will remain one, but his legacy to most people around the world, at the age of 69, he hasn't got long left, and this may be the thing he is now remembered for. For all intended purposes, from the outside at least, a pointless war, which is going to tank the Russian economy, cause thousands of deaths, with no real end goal in sight. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode of the Toasted Tale podcast, then following or subscribing to the Toasted Tale podcast on whichever application you get your shows from is really helpful. We have almost 60 previous episodes now for you to enjoy at your leisure. If you really enjoyed the show, then liking, commenting and sharing it is also an excellent way of getting more ears onto the toasted tale, so I appreciate that also as well. Making this show takes time and research to try and find the best stories, and if you want to financially support me and the show, then I have created a Patreon. There is no obligation at all to become a supporter in that way, listening to the show itself is more than enough, and if I bring you joy in any way, that's amazing. But it's there for those who want to use it. Given the subject of today's episode, however, you may rather donate some of your hard-earned money to those who have been negatively affected in war, and that is 100% supported by myself as well. In these troubled times, I wish you all the best, and to stay safe wherever you are, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon for another toasted tale by the fireside. <laughs>